Welcome to This Old App, a podcast about learning, coding, smashing stuff together, breaking things apart, startups, failing, winning, and any other buzzwords we can think of. Hey, Randy. So this week, I wanted to talk a bit about um, the state of things on phones. Um, so so this is another I hate Apple discussion. Oh, can, can we? Can we? Can we? <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll do that for hours on end um, and, and be somewhat original. So, uh, this is this is more about the cycle things go through. Yeah. So we've talked about that cycle in the past, and and that's just the way. Really, it's the way life is. Uh, life goes in cycles. But um, computers move between client server and everything on the machine. Um, they they bounce between that cycle back and forth. Um, serverless being yet another move, I think, towards client server. I'm not even sure anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but pho- phones also do that. Um, we, we've had a couple cycles of how apps are built on phones of, okay, let's, let's make everything responsive on the web so that people use the phones and it's let's, let's make everything native for the phones. Um, and I think we're starting, I think we're, we're starting to move back to progressive web apps. Let's, let's make, let's make it so that the phones are accessing what's on the web as opposed to a native app. Um, I know you've done some work on, on react native. So that's, that's a little bit more back towards the native part of it. Um, and, and years ago I, I worked for a company called Coney, um, that had built a platform, um, similar to phone gap, um, that you could write once and it would distribute code for an, iOS device and an Android yeah. device, that sort of thing. Um, but all that, um, like I said, I think it's it's. I think we're shifting away from that. We're shifting back towards um, web applications built for the phone. So, talk a little bit about what you're doing with React Native and and why the choice was made to go with React Native versus um, something built for on a web page that all phones could access. Well, let's first extend your discussion about the cycle because okay. the history, the history, the, I, the iOS and the iPhone started all of this in the sense that it really was the first f- smartphone that had application ability. Um, Android came later. And that's what we have now. Like everything started around, was it 2005 when Apple, led by Jobs, Steve Jobs, launched this new product. And sure. the history is that Steve Jobs originally envisioned HTML web apps. He, and that, and, and mainly because when they launched the iPhone, there wasn't a lot of apps. Like the number one complaint was, okay, it does, it has a number of things we can do, but where are all these apps going to come from? And Jobs talked about how, and, and Apple had this idea that websites would move forward in advance, getting away from Flash 
so that you would have an app experience from the web. <clears throat> but but the problem was the iPhone had limited resources, limited CPU power, heat issues, limited memory, speed, all of that. I mean, everything that you can think of, which was at the very cusp of brand new tech, was being shoved into this device that they had to keep as light as possible, as cool as possible, um, while trying to make it as powerful as possible. And truly the best way to do that was what you've referred to and still exists, a walled garden for apps and app development. At the right. same time, when they introduced this, this platform to build apps on, they didn't spend a lot of time with what is the best language to write this in? They had Objective-C, which was used for Mac apps, and they basically said, we know this technology. We are going to port it and put it on to, to working with iOS. So the, the original vision was HTML web apps. And because of resource restrictions and ease of letting people get things on the platform, they kind of split off and created a native app category with a with an app store, reg, a regulated app store, using a proprietary-ish language. And then it started to make money. And then Apple was like, whoa, how do, like, if we go back to the original vision, we give up this money, this cash cow we ended up creating. So that's the history as I've always seen it. Sure. Um, and we're starting now to see that we're going to have a balance. We're going to we're going to down the road achieve a balance, and I think that was shown a little bit when Safari said, or when Apple said, our Safari web browser, mobile browser, will start to um, respect the concept of progressive web apps. So that's the history as I know it. Um, I don't know if you have any other th anything else to add on that before I jump into React Native. Yeah, how how much do you think? Because uh, if if I have objections about Apple, a lot of them come from the walled garden concept, and and I get I get the benefits. The benefits are they can they can um, they can pick the best of a breed. Of, of apps, they can be more selective when it comes to security. Um, Cause compared to the iTunes store, the Google play store is a little bit more wild west. Um, you, you do have to meet some standards, but for the most part you can, you can get in there. Um, how much does the fact that it's not easy to get a, application approved for uh, an iPhone to be placed in the app store. How much does that play a factor in this move towards progressive web apps, do you think? Well, it's cumbersome. There's no doubt. I mean, the amount of stuff we've dealt with trying to get an app that has no competition and really doesn't have any money prospects has been a pain as it is for my team right now. I mean, it's the problem 
I, I do think that is what is pushing people to say, like, why do I need to add not one, but two layers of deployment process with a arguably subjective review process by random Apple reviewers, which has gotten better, but still we can, we can come up all day with people having issues with the way Apple reviews things. Sure. And I mean, on this Apple side, the app store has a higher quality mark than I think the Google play store does. You can put pretty much any agreed. Google play. No, I, I agree with that. But from the standpoint of, <clears throat> I mean, I think Apple wants to cater. We're going to go back to a CTO think episode. What was it CTO thing? Marco Arment, the developer of Overcast, he has developed one of the premier podcast apps. And I think Apple's idea, Apple's opinion is <clears throat> we want to have our podcast app and maybe a couple competitors, but they all have to be top quality. So if you can't if you can't produce what Marco Arment has produced as a podcast app, then we don't really care if you post right. it. And if you don't follow our rules, we could care even less. So um, <clears throat> I think that the ability for people to publish like anything they want without that kind of quality process is double-edged because the, the search and find for users of that stuff is, is still a problem. There's not, right now, I'm sure there's probably one out there I don't know about, there's not a great search engine for progressive web apps. Um, and if there is, it's, it's not full of great apps sure. to showcase. And so, like, just like I, the iTunes podcast um, site is really an index. Everyone thinks that their podcasts are hosted there, but that's not true. Every right. podcast hosts their own files. So if the app store changed and went more down that path, um, you're going to start seeing people produce more stuff and more lower quality stuff. But you're also like the walled garden is also pushing out big companies. Fortnite recently said, hey, we're not going to publish the ability for people to create subscriptions through Google Play. Um, Spotify removed the ability to subscribe through the App Store. Amazon sure. has always prevented that. Um, You've got to go to the Amazon site to, to order up Audible and to, um, what was it, uh, subscribe to or like movies and stuff. Like the content, you have to go through the web, then you can view it through your account because there, no one wants to pay Apple 30% and Google 30% right. for transactions. So I don't think everyone can get away with this. Um, Spotify has its own user base and marketing, but I think you're starting to see that there is a resistance to the level of... Um, the amount of work it takes to publish, the amount of crap you got to go through with a review, and 
than the cost of doing business. 30% is a big chunk when you talk about business and percentages and margins and stuff. I think you're that's starting to push people there. And you're starting to see as a result more work on you know interactive clients that can work in a browser environment, but seem like they're a native app. That's what's driving it, I think. So the concern, so that that's a concern from a revenue money standpoint. Um, from a developer standpoint, I'll give you the same objection I have to Apple that I had to working in on .NET apps um, back in the early 2000s, late yeah. 90s. It, it, it's just cost and, and, and access. Um, back in that those days, I wanted to write web apps. I wanted to do stuff. But in order to do it the Microsoft way, I had to go buy an MSDN um, subscription to get access to all the tools, or I had to go purchase all the tools. Um, there, that it, it wasn't free to create things. Um, so that led me down the path to eventually building it in PHP open source, you know, uh, whatever database I was using at the time, um, finding all these free things so that I could actually build something without having to spend hundreds of dollars, which at the time, if I had to spend hundreds of dollars, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I, I wasn't, it, this was for fun. This was for my own, um, improvement. It wasn't for me to go make money. So why, why would I spend hundreds of dollars on tools? And yeah. this, this, this process that, and, and, and the whole process that Apple has is very similar in that, A, I can't make an iPhone app without an, uh, uh, an iOS computer. I've got to run Xcode in order to make an iOS app. Um, it's getting better. Um, but for the most part, that's true. Yeah. Um, and then in order for me to see it work on any amount of phones, it's got to pass through the, the iTunes, the Apple store, um, certification process. If I build something on Android, um, I can do it on just about any computer. Uh, I can create the APK and then sideload that APK onto just about any phone. Yeah. So if I build an app that just the five of us in our office want to use, because it's just for us, I can do that on Android. I can't do that on Apple, not without having yep. to go through the whole process. Of, and that that's that's where it just rubs me the wrong way. And do you and want I, to do you want to sell to the Honda Accord crowd or the Lexus crowd? I'm not trying that's, to sell. That's just it. I'm not trying to sell. I'm trying to build. And we come back well, to this whole your, thing as 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 my as my my. My ability as a creator is being handcuffed. Yeah, but that's you're building to sell. Um, not always. If I if I'm building an app for five, literally five people to use so that we can run our company better, 
I'm not looking to sell that app. I'm looking to use that app. I would argue then you don't need to build native. Uh, okay, so that that's where that's where we're going to get into the discussion of web apps, right? Yeah. Versus native code, and that's 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 another reason why there's a move, right? Is is it gets outside that walled garden? Yeah. Uh, so it that. When it comes down, when it comes down to arguments about Apple, that's where all my tension comes from. Is I don't like them controlling the market. I'm a, I'm a much in in a lot of cases, I'm a much bigger believer in free markets um, than in letting Apple set the market. Well, okay, that's your. I I don't feel like that's a that argument's right. Like, okay, where do you, where do you consider the control of the market? Like the 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 free market system says that Apple can do whatever it wants and take advantage of its uh, agreed leverage. Agreed. So and, you, and you know what? They can do that all they want. I'm not saying they can't. I'm saying I'm saying it frustrates me in that they have that right to do so. Okay. But then I can also be frustrated at their prohibitiveness and, and this, we, we talked about this when we argued about Apple last time. This applied to Microsoft as well. Um, them preventing people from creating on in that market or, or if not preventing, making it much more difficult. Well, I know, but I guess what I'm saying is you said free market. And a free yep. market, like you're acting like Apple is the government when you, when you, when you say that Apple is acting is prohibiting stuff. I like free markets, so I don't like Apple. And I'm like, no, Apple is the free market. They just happen to have all the leverage. And you okay, but but you're not you're not allowing that there are levels, right? You're not allowing that that yes, Apple Locked. exists because Apple exists because of a free market. Okay. Yeah, but I but guess they don't guess they I'm... don't believe they don't believe in a free market in their own world. Of course not. It exists. So, okay. Then we're in agreement. And that, that's where the, that's where the, <laughs> the argument ends. Okay. No, 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 no. Like uh, when I talk to free market people that love a free market, liber- like libertarians, I guess is the group I'm talking about. They, they don't have levels. They don't think about the consequences when someone games the whole system of a free market. So, my my only point is that if you love free markets, you should completely respect and appreciate what Apple has managed to do for themselves. Like the problem is, is that you aren't on the side the side of any leverage with that. Is my gut? Vers- so, yeah, and and I think you're just repeating my argument. I respect what Apple's done. Okay. They've built using the free market. They built this this wonderful marketplace of things that they're making a ton of money on. Yeah, but they are restricting my ability to play in that market. Okay, that it's yeah. okay. It's okay for me to make the argument that there are levels that sure. I can I can respect what Apple's done within the free market that created them. 
but I can also turn around and say, you're not letting me into your market, especially when there's an alternative that is letting me into their market. If there was never an alternative, I, I'd probably have to throw up my hands and go, okay, well, I guess that's just the way it is. And no, I, I re- regulated markets are cool. I'm not against that. So let's get off the economics discussion. <laughs> All right. And let's, let's, let's go ahead and, and jump into a little bit about what you're doing with react native and what to me, react native is kind of that in between state between you're using React, so so you could be you could be doing that to build some progressive web apps, but it's React Native, which then goes down to the native code. So talk a little bit about that. So let me go into the history on this. Um, so on the developer side, when things started out, you had to learn a code base called Objective C to build apps on iOS and over the first few years, Apple first let very few people build. Then they opened it up and they said, you can only use certain pieces of the, of the iOS API. Then they started, you know, then they started seeing enough traction that they started putting developer resources towards making the iOS Objective-C um, code base more robust maybe some, maybe easier to use, less bugs, more like more developer support. Cause it was really tough for people at the beginning. So much so that I didn't know a single person that was willing to go through that. Um, the amount of work it took to learn Objective-C and then figure out this really shaky deployment um, system. And then about that same time, we started to see the desire of the community to make development easier on this native app. And Android came up and Android used Java. And Java is not really a favorite of, of, I mean, Java is widely used, like maybe one of the most prevalent languages out there, um, especially in the enterprise community. For but sure. it's, not a fav- it's not a favorite. You don't, people don't talk glowingly about Java um, that much. And... So you started to see this hybrid approach through a, uh, a framework called PhoneGap. The idea being it would take a kind of a window of the native code on an iOS and Android, and then you could encapsulate in that window HTML, CSS, JavaScript to get the same effect. And so what it allowed you to do was code using web-based languages you knew, browser-based languages, frameworks you knew, and then put the bundle them up and put them on like code once, push to many. And PhoneGap wasn't bad. I actually have built PhoneGap apps that no one could tell the difference. But you had to, one, care about design, and two, know that there's little things that you have to mitigate so that people wouldn't see a difference. And a lot of people were pushing crap up there with PhoneGap because they didn't care about design and they did nothing to mitigate the sl- some of the slowness, some of the lag, some of the jumpiness, um, and you know, grabbing the right gestures and stuff. And so that lazy part kind of showed, people thought, you know, felt that PhoneGap um, 
was nothing but a bunch of lazy apps in that case. So then React came on the scene. And React's original goals was to be the a framework for the front end to make front end development more than just jQuery spaghetti. And then from React <clears throat> came React Native. And React Native was the concept of, hey, we've got a framework called React. It lets you organize your JavaScript um, better and for a more robust app application with maintainability and testing. And now it's going to essentially transpile, compile down to the native iOS. Now, sure. let me, I, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to, this is a sidebar. At the same time, Apple came out with something called Swift, which was the kind of the, the next step of Objective-C. Objective-C has never been a favorite. It's got really weird syntax, um, really weird naming conventions that are not at all. Um, it's not something that just, when you look at it, you don't know what's going on unless you've really practiced with it. And Swift was the attempt to say like, hey, we've got a better syntax, a better named language that you can utilize to produce these apps. So at the same time, Apple is trying, they know this is a problem and they're trying to, and Swift takes fire really fast in the community. There's a lot sure. more Swift work. So back to the React Native, React Native is a open source application, open, open source framework largely supported by Facebook that lets you write your applications in React in a React-like fashion using parts of React. <clears throat> and then you compile, it compiles down to native. So you're not giving up, you're, you're keeping all the API can, um, access you need. And you're also keeping a lot of the um, speed and um, efficiency that you get in a native build. Um, up, up till, and then came the concept of Expo or a framework called Expo that was kind of built on top of React that let you better develop on your computer. And I believe it works on Windows and Linux too. And then lets you kind of test versions of the app on your computer instead of pushing everything. You have to get on a deployment cycle just to look at this thing on your phone. This lets you use a simulator on your um, laptop and simulate on your own phone on the same Wi-Fi network, which is really right. cool. And then came another piece called Create React Native App. And that is a, essentially a bundle of libraries and features that you just kind of say, I'm going to use this to build the app and I'm going to stay in these confines of features so that I can get this thing built faster and not worry about all the um, web pack stuff, the bundling, the Babel stuff. It's just like, it's all good to go to stay within these confines. If you really need to break out, you can do what we call eject and get out of that. But, and I can talk more about this in a few minutes, but the, the side effect of that has been, you now have create React Native app that is tied to certain versions of React and React Native and Expo. You have Expo, 
which is tied to certain versions of React and React Native. And then you have React Native, which is tied to certain versions of React. Right. And so when React up, updates, you can't immediately go and update React on your Create React Native app without probably finding a conflict. And when Expo updates, Expo says, we're not going to go to the next level of React because there's stuff in there that we don't care about or we can't keep up with because it's open source. No one's paying these folks to work on it. Sure. So there is now at the core a definite version tracking issue that is emerging because there's four distinct libraries that make this Create React Native app piece work. And I'm not saying it's causing great problems. I think the idea of you must be up to the latest version is probably misguided. But it does give you pause for, well, what if a security patch comes out and they only give it to one version that one of these libraries isn't up to date with? And that's that, a big rip. That that does seem to be the, the fly in the ointment, right? It, yeah. it, there are a lot of moving parts here, and it certainly sounds fragile. So from a development team perspective, the ability to learn React Native, if you know React at all, your ability to get a React Native app going at a very rudimentary level is pretty quick. Like you can use Create React Native app or just Expo and get some stuff going fast. And I love it for that. My team had no like really extensive React Native experience. We had plenty of mobile app, phone gap, JavaScript and React experience, but we hadn't really used the React Native platform extensively um, for this recent project. And we were able to get some stuff built and going pretty quick. The rest of the problems was really figuring out how to make this work with Firebase the most. So we didn't have to learn Objective-C, we didn't have to learn Swift. We kept everything within our JavaScript wheelhouse. Styling was really all CSS based and not that hard. Um, navigation's a little bit weirder because you're usually kind of focused on a screen-based um, paradigm. And you basically have to say, hey, show this screen. Hey, show this screen instead of the um, instead of kind of like routing. Routing's a lot different in there. But yeah. overall, I like React Native because of the speed and the ability for you to utilize a team that doesn't need to expand outside of the web-based tools they've already learned. That's really efficient. That's really cost-effective for a small team. So um, I think that the documentation online has a lot of, of growth to go, but um, I usually find what I need. You will find a lot, like the, the issue queues on a lot of these repos are deep. And they're not going to, they're not bugs that are going to get fixed. Sure. But I have yet to find a bug that has not been fixable. But it takes me a lot longer. Like in the Rails community, Ruby, I find stuff so boom. Like it's amazing if I have to look longer than two minutes for a bug fix on Rails and Ruby. But in React Native, I've burned some hours on little things. And that's still the state of where the state of things are. Um, well, it's, it's, it's certainly younger. Than, than Ruby and Rails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's certainly going to be the case. Um, where does, 
So, so we had a discussion with Mark Thompson many moons ago on Flutter. Yep. Um, where does Flutter play in all of this? I feel like if Google stays committed to the support behind Flutter and Dart, that you could they, you could have a React Native killer on your hands, mainly because of the problems I just spoke of. Right. Four distinct four distinct packages managed by different groups that are not always on the same page that sometimes kind of kick each other on the issue queue on like, well, they're not doing their job, so we can't do anything here. Whereas Dart and Flutter, Dart is similar to JavaScript and you can kind it goes back to a proprietary approach of, um, and kind of like what Vue is doing too versus React. Hey, here's the, how we do thing. This is the, the convention in, in Dart and Flutter. This is how you build it. This is the convention for Flutter apps and how we want to compile to native. This is how you do it. Now it is, I think, geared more for Android for a decent um, part based on what I've heard, but I don't know that to be true. But it's you do you're going to have to learn Dart, and I and I haven't heard any negative. Um, I haven't heard anything negative about Dart, but I am also like. Do I want to learn another language? Um, and how much is how much support is that going to get? Yeah, and so I, I do think there's the case because I've heard I've heard positive things about Flutter and Dart. What mm-hmm. I haven't heard are a lot of positive things. It seems to be a very small community that's picked this up and run with it. Yes. Um, so that gets back to the question. One of the concerns you had was bug fixes. Um, I think that was one of the things Mark was running into. Now, Mark was even earlier in the process. Yeah, he was he was bleeding edge. So, but, but he was the he, he was guinea pig. Sure, <laughs> he signed up. To <laughs> but he hasn't said he's still sticking with it. I think sure. he's rebuilt his app, and I he hasn't um, gone away from it. Two of the tutorial guys that I follow, um, Max, can't remember his last name. It's a foreign name and I can't ever yeah, Maximilian and I can't, you're right. I can't remember. Yeah. Yep. Both on Udemy, Steven Grider and Maximilian both released flutter dart tutorials at almost the same time. And I'd be curious to know how much traction they got on those. Um, because that's where it starts is people's ability to learn and start developing. Sure. I think, I, what I'm gonna, what I'm paying attention to is, do they get a conference going? Where this, like, not just part of the Google Developers Conference, but can they get a Flutter community going on a big scale? Oh, interesting. And if they okay. can, I feel like that's when you start to see that traction. That, but, that that's interesting. And I want to stop you there because I, I have an interesting point about conferences. First off, Maximilian's last name is Schwarzmuller. So um, just to okay. give him full, full name credit there. Um, and then conferences. One thing I've noticed, and I don't know if they're going to fix it or not. Um, Alexa development doesn't have its own conference. There are voice development conferences that, that have happened over the, this year. But Alexa 
Amazon Echo specific stuff is all wrapped in AWS reInvent, which is an expensive conference to go to. Um, so I don't know. So you you were saying you'll you'll be interested to see if if Flutter and Dart get their that get their own conference. Um, I haven't even seen that happen with Amazon uh, Echo yet. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a matter of you know, do people like it enough? Do they see the benefits? Is the development support? Does it speak to the businesses? Like right now, if you talk to a bunch of business managers, more on the CTO think level, the question is, will this be around long enough for us to invest in? Does it make sense for us to invest in this new platform? React, there's a lot of confidence that the community is big enough that even if Facebook said, we're out, we're tired of doing this support, that someone else will take it over and the community will keep it going. Um, Dart, Nobody uses Dart for anything but Flutter that I'm aware of. It's not, I mean, it doesn't, never hear it talked about. And so it's very proprietary. I don't even know who's in charge of it other than, I guess, Google. And like, that's risky to me. Like, now I got to go find Dart developers. Now I got to go find Flutter specific. And that's a risky proposition for enterprise. If you can get, if you can get Dart to compile to JavaScript, Maybe, but that's like coffee script. Um, and I don't want that either. So that's the problem is that if they use Dart, like I've always kind of wondered, why didn't Flutter use JavaScript? Because if Dart, maybe Dart's a better language from an efficiency standpoint, but there's something to be said for, I don't have to hire a Dart developer to get something done. Right. Um, at the same token, if the, if like, and, and Mark said this, he's like, it's not really hard to learn Dart if you know JavaScript. If that's truly the case, then it's just a learning curve or a little hill that the community needs to jump over. But it's really hard, like once you carry three or four languages, in my mind, you start to, I feel like I'm starting to thin myself out in terms of knowing them very well. Oh, for and sure. I'm kind of like, I'm happier to stick in the Ruby and JavaScript world than add another, yet another um, platform unless there's really a great benefit for it. So. Although I would, I would argue that React and the use of JSX is in and of itself its own language to a small degree. Um, yes, a lot, of, a lot of React is just JavaScript. Mm-hmm. But the JSX part of it isn't. The JSX part of it is something else. So if uh, Dart yeah. and and you and I don't know how close Dart is to JavaScript, so we have no yeah. we have no way of saying. Um, yeah. But that's that's kind of yes. React hasn't gone so far, but but it is it is a different way of thinking about JavaScript. Yeah. So cool. Um, That's, um, I think we hit on any of the current iterations of things. We didn't talk a lot about progressive web apps, um, but that is its own. Yeah. Well, well, let's take two to three minutes to talk about PWAs because 
<clears throat> what all PWA day, all a PWA is, is a list of directives that Google came up with for what's the best way to get an application experience on a browser. How do you cache stuff better? How do you optimize the code or the, the rendering of the app? How do you um, give more power? Service workers is a concept we would talk about. Um, the ability for you to save an icon to your, to the, uh, which you've always been able to do, but you can save a bookmark of, of sorts to the home screen of your app, of your phone. I mean, the ability to do app-like performance and um, experience, user experience with a web application. But it's all a loose, like there's no official PWA registry that's that, to my knowledge, is working there. There's no collective group that's saying this is the PWA um, way. It's just a set of kind of a loose set of directives that a bunch of people are following, and it's changed a lot over the last two years. I do, I I'm all for it. I haven't seen the benefits of it totally. I'm aware, loosely aware of some companies. I think Starbucks and Twitter are following the PWAs, sure. but I don't I don't know. And I do find their apps to have great performance on my phone. But <clears throat> what I we just haven't seen a groundswell of support for moving everyone there. We talked we talked last week about Fantrax, the uh, fantasy football, fantasy sports site that we yeah. use. Yeah. They're using PWAs for parts of their site, and I find them to be actually pretty good. Yeah, for um, sure. You can see a direct, you can see a distinct difference when you click on a link and you go to their old site on the mobile. It's like, oh crap, they still haven't fixed this or haven't updated this. So I like, but it, but again, it design is still a big part. Like. You can make a PWA out of a crappy design. It's going to look crappy to people. You have to still design for native. You still have to design for mobile. And that's hard. That's harder to get right. And I think that people are mistaken if they think they can just code in the PWA way and then say, I got a great PWA. And it's like, nope, this still looks like 2005 web design. You have to do the entire project all the way through to make it work right but you can do it i'm i'm convinced that you can but i think people that take a shortcut on pwas instead of native are also the people taking shortcuts on design and that's where you see the problems for sure for sure all right well i think we've we've talked about things on phones <laughs> we we can we can we can uh, if we want to make this any longer we talk about our favorite apps but we won't even do that um, not today not today so um, so thank you um, I, th this was good it gave me gave me time to to vent more about Apple which hey always makes <laughs> my day so so uh, I I would like to say to our audience <clears throat> please if you have a few minutes. Please give us a rating. You don't have to give a oh, review. For sure. You don't. You don't have to write a review just to put a rating in. But if you have some time, go to the Apple Store or iTunes 
and leave a rating or any of your anywhere that you get your podcast from that have a rating system. Just give us a rating. I'm not even going to say what you what we want you to give us. Um, it, it helps the show in the search engines. It helps us find an audience. You know, we're I don't think we're ever at a point where we're going to be trying to raise money to run the show from a like Patreon standpoint, unless it was to get something done like the transcriptions. But right. the best way that you, if you if you enjoy the show, please leave a rating. It really helps with getting more exposure and a bigger audience. If it you sure dislike does. the show, if you dislike <laughs> the show, Don has an Don at CTA think or Don at this old app dot online. Send your complaints. They're only about him anyway. Send exactly. them directly to Don, and he will make the changes necessary to make you happier. If you want to hear more um, vitriol towards Apple, send your emails along. I'll gladly, gladly read them on the air. <laughs> oh, that's a, yeah. If you hate Apple for a, a reason, it doesn't have to be legitimate because most of them aren't. Feel, yeah, we will be happy to read your comments on the show about why Apple is doing you wrong. Is this why we don't do well in the iTunes store? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I, I don't know if you're dragging. You might be dragging. Like it's, it's maybe half of us is doing fine in the Apple store. <laughs> <clears throat> no, but, but, and, and that, that applies to all, all the podcasts you're listening to. It, it's very important um, for those ratings. Yeah. So th- thank you in advance for doing that. All right, so I think we're done, um, and we will talk again shortly. Yep, later. Thanks for listening to This Old App. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at www.thisoldapp.online. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. For questions, comments, or things you would like to hear on future shows, please email us at hello at thisoldapp.online. Show music is Guns Blazing by Fab Claxton, licensed by Pond5. Voiceover work by MeganVoices.com. You'll hear from us soon.